to be here this evening, and uh, thank you, Pastor Cochran, for the opportunity to uh, be able to speak with you tonight. Uh, we love the Cochrans. Uh, they've been a blessing to us throughout the years, and uh, just many opportunities to uh, minister together. Uh, we joke every once in a while and say a few of my gray hairs are named uh, Jeremy Cochran, uh, but uh, just a few. But uh, we, we've had a lot of great experiences serving the Lord together. God's been good. And uh, I'm just so, so thankful uh, to, to watch as God has worked and led in his life. And as he said, his dad uh, invested in me. And uh, I was his uh, dad's assistant pastor for a number of years. And uh, I gave him a, quite a few gray hairs. Uh, I know I did, but uh, I, I appreciate the whole Cochran family. We'll be in Matthew chapter 9 this evening. Matthew chapter 9. We come tonight, again, we look at that theme, compassion. Um, compassion's an interesting thing. You know, it's easy to say you have compassion. But compassion should be seen, shouldn't it? You know, it's easy to come to a missions conference and talk about compassion for the world, compassion for sharing the gospel with the lost. It's, that's an easy thing to talk about. We, we love missions, uh, you know, I've grown up Baptist. Uh, Baptists love missions. Baptists love missions conferences. But I've also grown up Baptist and, and realized that uh, we can say we love missions, but not always show it. You know, missions conference is an easy time to get excited about. Missionaries come in, you see the parade of nations, and that's just, that's moving, that's exciting. But then Thursday morning comes, and a missions conference is over. And where's the compassion? Matthew chapter 9, we read a very familiar passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse number 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted, were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I speak to you this evening a compassion that matters. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for the day. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for the gospel. The Lord, we, we know that Jesus Christ came and died on a cross for our sins, was buried and rose again so that we might have victory, so that we might have eternal life with you. Lord, I pray that that truth would grab hold of our hearts and change us. That, Lord, we would have a burden to share that truth with others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We were driving the other day, and one of my kids is going to get upset with me for this. Kids are great, aren't they? Don't you love kids most days? Uh, you know, they, they do all sorts of things. And we were, and, and sometimes you wonder, where, where did that come from? 
We got in our car the other day and we started driving down the road and, and one of my children, they asked, they said, Mom, Dad, do you love me? Yes. Next thing we know, we hear this whistle blowing in the back of the car. Now you don't. <laughs> Rachel responded. She's the more spiritual one of our family. She goes, I love you no matter what. I'm thinking I'm going to wring your neck. <laughs> you know, you, you do. You love your kids no matter what, don't you? Um, we, we, we love our kids. We love, we love people. And, and, and truthfully, love ought to be shown. We were, I'm going to tell somebody, this, somebody, Brother Sinclair. Years ago, we were having a missions conference, and I lived in, in West Tennessee. He'll, he'll never speak to me again, but that's okay. <laughs> we, we lived in West Tennessee, and we were in the country, and uh, we were, our, our buildings there, we had a, uh, our main building, and then we had an audit, or a uh, gymnasium back behind. There was a, a gap between the two buildings, an outside gap. And uh, my wife was walking between the gymnasium to the auditorium building, and she opened the back doors of the auditorium building, and she did, she didn't see it, but there was a snake laying there. Now, I hate snakes. Some people say, people ask me sometimes, well, was it a good snake or a bad snake? They're all bad. And I know somebody here likes snakes. I don't like snakes. I, you know, I just want them dead. And I know somebody will come to me afterwards. You don't have to because I've already been told. You know, some of them are good. They, they kill certain things and they take care of some. No, they're, they're not healthy for me. They give me heart attacks. <laughs> and, uh, and my wife went across there and this snake got under that door and it rolled up and it rolled on her ankle. My wife let out a scream. And she comes running into the building where I am there speaking with a missionary to Africa. And, and she comes in and she says, there's a snake outside. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, good, he's outside and I am inside. But then she gives me that look that a wife can give a husband. She doesn't have to say a word. I want you to go do something about it. You know the look. And uh, I, said, I, I said, okay. And I gave some hesitation because I'm thinking, surely a great missionary to Africa <laughs> would say, Pastor, I'll take care of that snake for you. It didn't happen. <laughs> I told my wife, okay, I'll go get the snake. And I, and I, and I went and, and I got something to take care of the snake. And, and I, am, I am outside taking care of this snake. And uh, as I look up, the back doors of our church were glass doors. This great, mighty missionary to Africa, the land of snakes, was standing at the back door holding it shut. Man, he's a beaut, isn't he? And the thought in my mind, where's the love? <laughs> now that is a true story. And we still took him on for support. But I cannot promise I've ever forgiven him. You know, the humorous story, but, but, but the, the thought there, where's the love? 
You know, I wonder sometimes if that could be asked of me when it comes to my care for the world around me. Oh, isn't it easy as Christians to stand inside the doors of a church and hold the doors shut and and just see the problem on the other side, but never move to do anything. In Matthew chapter 9, we find the familiar story. Jesus has traveled from city to city dealing with the people. He's been teaching the people. He's been healing people of their their diseases and, 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 and just working with people day after day. And as, he, as he's finished dealing with one city, he goes to the next city and then the next city. And as, he, and as he looks out amongst the crowd of these cities as he comes, the Bible says he sees this mass group of people and he's moved with compassion. He's already helped an incredible amount of people. But as he looks, as the number of people that are still there, the number of people that are still in need, the numbers are great. You could almost think in the, in the realms of, of, of terms that we would use today, they've only touched the tip of an iceberg. The amount of people are tremendous. The Bible says he looks at them as as that were were fainted. The idea is fatigued and tired. This was a group of people and many, many explanations for what did that fatigued or tired mean? A group of people that possibly just just worn out from life. Some of the people, some of the idea would have been that some people have traveled from one city to the other to hear Jesus or to be cured of some disease and, and they're tired from their going about from place to place. But the other thought here of this fatigue, this, this fainted, could be that they were wearied and burdened with all the traditions of, of religions and the doctrines that their, their religious leaders taught and expected of them. They were worn down. No real hope defeated, and in need of something. It says they're scattered abroad, a sheep having no shepherd. In other words, they're neglected. They didn't have anyone to help them. And so Jesus looks at this, this multitude of people around him, and yes, he's helped hundreds if not thousands already, but he looks in front of him and he sees the, the greater crowd still in front of him, people with no help, and realizes that or sees this, this group, and he points out to his disciples, look at the harvest. It's plenteous but the laborers are few. And with this in mind, he says, Pray ye, therefore the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. Pray that God will send more. We need more. I think of a theme of our conference this week. And I am reminded of the compassion of Christ. A compassion that we need. Too often we don't have a compassion that's seen. It's easy. Isn't it easy to say, I feel for you? It's easy to say, I have a heart for the lost. 
But it's another for it to be seen, isn't it? Tonight, I want to look at a few things here from this passage as we look at the compassion of Christ. I want to see the compassion that we ought to have that will be seen, that will change our approach to sharing the gospel. Notice several things about this compassion this evening. Number one, it, I see compassion's awareness. Verse number 36 here, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And Jesus looks at the crowd and he, and, and he sees these people that are worn down, worn down with the religious traditions, worn down with, with, with leaders that gave no real hope, worn down from just, just physical tiredness of going and looking for something and people that have no hope, and he sees... He saw the multitude. Now, it's a simple thought. Most of my points tonight are simple thoughts. He sees them. He was aware of them. And I thought about that, and I thought, shouldn't true compassion result in me being aware of people and their need? You know, it, it, it's easy to say I care about the lost, but not live aware of them. You get the difference, don't you? you? You don't live within the walls of this church. You go out into the community, and as you go out into the community, do we see the people in need? Do we consider their spiritual condition? As you go to the, the store and you deal with people in the store, do you, do you ever just stop and wonder, are they saved? Do they know Christ? Uh, listen, I, I, my wife likes to shop. I look at shopping like snakes. <laughs> I don't like to shop. And, uh, you know, but every once in a while, I will, I will go with my wife to a store. And, 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 you know, I am also maybe not as patient as I should be. I, I, if I'm going in a place, I want to go in and I want to get out. And I don't want anybody in my way. Have you ever noticed, if, if that's your personality, every aisle you go down, there is somebody that stands in the middle of the aisle and takes up the whole thing and you can't get past? You know, and I, 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 I be honest, that, that is me. I'm sitting there thinking, could you hurry up and move? They're looking at things on the aisle, on the, on the shelf there, and I'm thinking, can I pick something for you? <laughs> I, 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 really, I, I really don't like uh, shopping, and, 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 and the thought in my mind so often is I'm frustrated. I just want to get past you. How often do I stop and think, I wonder if they know Christ. My point is not tonight that you have to talk to every single person you come across. My point tonight is so often I can become oblivious to the people around me. I can come oblivious to that, that checkout clerk. 
In John 4, Jesus has talked to the woman at the well. The disciples have gone to town to get some food. They come back ready to eat. And they come in John 4, verse 31, and the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? The disciples come back with their food. They say, hey, let's eat. Jesus' response is, I have something else to do. I, I have my father's business to take care of. And the disciples are confused. Well, somebody brought him something to eat. So somebody met this, this need of food in his life. And, and Jesus' response, say not ye, there are yet four months. And then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to our harvest. Jesus' response to his disciples is, hey, men, quit, quit looking and quit focusing on this food, this temporary need that maybe we have, and look out and see the people around you. See the people that are coming, that, that need to hear the good news. See the people that, that need to be saved. Look and see them. How often do we become unaware? Oblivious. Several years ago, um, it was a, a Monday. I, I typically have Monday off. This was when my kids were real little. Uh, and uh, two of my kids were in school. My youngest two were at home. Rachel had gone up to, Rachel's my wife, she had gone up to uh, the church for some things. And I was at home supposedly watching my two youngest kids. My youngest was taking a nap. My third child was about two, two, two and a half. And I got thinking, well, while my youngest is taking a nap, I'm going to get some chores done around the house. And I had some stuff to do outside. And one of the jobs I needed to do outside the house was clean out the gutters. Now, our, our house was not a tall house, and the, the roof on the house had a very little uh, um, slope to it. And so for me, the easiest thing to do, the quickest thing to clean out my gutter, is I'd just put my extension ladder up against the house. I'd go up on the roof, and I'd just go around and bend over and, and get the junk out of the gutter. It was much quicker than anything else. And so uh, Timothy was not asleep, so I said, well, Timothy, you come out here, and I let him play in the backyard. I went up on the roof of the house, and I started going around the, the house cleaning out the gutter. I got to the front of the house. The ladder was in the back of the house, the backyard there. And I got to the front of the house, and I thought, you know, I'll be a good dad. I'll go check on my son. Well, so I, I, I stood up and started to walk across the peak of the, the roof of the house, and when I got to the point that I could see over the peak, I saw something that made my heart stop. Scared me. I got to the peak of the, the house, and there was my two-year-old standing on the roof. You know, a lot of thoughts go through your mind at that point. One is, my wife's going to kill me. Two is, how do you keep her from ever knowing this? <laughs> I will tell you, telling it in church does not keep her from knowing. It's a good time to tell her because she can't kill you then. 
I got there and I saw Timothy there. And I was like, you know, the thought is, okay, if I startle him and he backs up, he falls off the roof. So you don't want to do that. So the thought in my mind was, Timothy, look at you. Isn't this exciting? And I, I think I got to get to him, grab him so he doesn't back off the roof of the house. And I just kept talking to him, hey, it's good to see you. Look at you. You got up here all by yourself. And I kept inching closer and closer to him. When I finally got as close enough to him as I could, I, I grabbed hold of him and I held on to him with all my might. And I said, Timothy, you never, never, <laughs> never, never climb a ladder again. <laughs> then I had to figure out how to get him down the ladder. You know, I got up on the roof of that house, and just to be honest with you, I was oblivious to my son and the danger he was in. But I'll tell you this, because I cared for my son, that never happened again. Because I cared for my son, every time I, I went up to clean the, those gutters, I made certain that he couldn't get to the ladder. I made certain I took, kept a check on him. I made certain of everything because I cared and I kept myself aware of him. The point this evening is compassion should lead us to live aware. And second of all, compassions, I see compassion's burden and I realize compassion is a burden. It's that innermost feeling, that feeling of sympathy. But I want you to grasp something. The, the burden I'm talking about here is something that, that doesn't escape, something that, that wants to provide an answer. In verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I, I can see something. I can be aware of something but I can let it not impact me. I can let it leave my mind. I think true compassion sticks with you. It sees a need and wants to provide an answer. Plenteous here is abundant or large. It's just describing this massive crowd that they're looking at. A crowd that in all truthfulness, Jesus and these, these, these men with him, no way that they could reach this whole crowd by themselves. No way they could talk to each individual themselves. And as Jesus looks there and he sees all the people that, are, that have surrounded and all the people that are in the area around them, and maybe then he turns and looks back at these few men that are following him and he says, the, the, the crowd is huge. Labors are so few. You listen to missionaries talk. How many times do you hear missionaries say, we need co-laborers? How often through the years do you hear of, of individuals coming off the field and saying, the missionary saying, there's no one to take their place? Here, Jesus saw these people. He saw their, their helpless condition. Saw people that, 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 that had a need and no one to help them. And he wanted them to have the answer. 
You read through the life of Christ, you see His burden for people. In Matthew 15, 32, Then Jesus called His disciples unto Him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with Me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Everywhere in Jesus' life as He saw the multitudes, He had a burden for them, a burden that their need be met. Not just be aware of a need, but, but that need be met. You, you read here, and, and, and he knew what they needed. Paul had the same burden in Romans 9, 3, where he says, For I, I, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul said, The greatest burden, the desire of my heart, is I want to see these people saved. I want them to come to know Christ. I want them to know the answer. 1 Corinthians 10 or 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22 to the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some and this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partakers thereof with you you read Paul as he writes throughout the New Testament and he had this burning desire within him is I want people to know Christ I want that need to be met. With compassion, there ought to be more than awareness. There ought to be a burning desire within us that somebody would tell them about Christ, that somebody would go. More than awareness, but a thought that won't leave us. Several years ago, after I'd moved to Nashville, Got a phone call one day from a man in our church that took care of a bus ministry. And he said, Pastor, we have a family that has come to church off and on. They have three young kids. I think the kids were five and under at that point. Young, young couple. He said, the mom just died. They hadn't been to church since I had been there. He said, the family wants to know, will you do the funeral? I said, yeah, I'd be glad to. The thought in my mind, funerals are a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel. He told me about the family, and, and so I, I said, okay, give me their address. Let me go by and talk with them. And I went to, to the family's house, and it was a rundown house. You knew immediately this was a, a family that, can I, can I just say a dysfunctional family? Mom had most likely overdosed. Dad was in jail. The kids were with grandma and great-grandma. There was a couple other family members there. They had arranged that dad could get out of jail to come for the services. Walked up to the door, knocked on the door, Somebody opened the door. As soon as they opened the door, the smell from within the house comes out. And you think, oh, wow. The guy opened the door, motioned for us to come in. We went in the house. That guy disappeared. And for the next 10, 15 minutes, I stood in the living room and nobody talked to me. And I thought, what's going on? Every once in a while, somebody walked through the living room, just kind of glare at me and keep going. Eventually, the kids started coming in the room. 
course, they knew I was a preacher. They just kind of come in and look at me and then run out. I began to think, why am I doing this? You know, you know what I mean. What have I gotten myself into? Finally, a family member came and talked to me for a few minutes. We arranged for the funeral to take place. And I left, and the thought in my mind is, why did I volunteer for this? The day of the funeral came, there was a small crowd there, and, and obviously it was not a church-going type crowd. People begin to trickle in, and it's time to start, and the husband or dad that had gotten out of prison didn't show up. Family said, well, can you wait? And we waited, and we waited, and we waited. 30, 35 minutes after the funeral was supposed to start, he finally showed up. We decided, let's go ahead and start. We went in and started the service, and as I started the service, there were people just walking around in the auditorium. Like I said, not church-going people. People standing right down front here talking while we were standing up front talking. As music played, they just kind of moved around and talked. And I thought, oh, will they ever sit down? I stood to preach. And throughout the message, you know, people over here would talk a little bit. And then people would move from one seat to another seat. People would go out. People would come in. And be honest with you, in my heart, I thought, why am I doing this? Is anybody listening? Honestly, there was a prayer, Lord, get me through this and let me send these people home. Came to the end of the message and felt that we should give a call for salvation. Not certain that anybody had heard a word I'd said. Gave a call for salvation and several people raised their hands wanting to be saved. After the service, that, that man in our church who had called me brought another man up to me. His name was Shane. He said, Pastor, Shane needs to talk to you. Now Shane was a very rough looking individual to say the least. He, he, you know, tattoos everywhere, just, just looked like he's had a very rough life. Shane began to talk to me. He wasn't saved and knew he needed to be saved. But he said, Pastor, I don't think God can save me. And he commenced to tell me the life he had lived. And he began to list all these things that he had done. And I'm sitting there saying, you don't have to tell me all this. But he just kept going. He said, I don't know that God can save me. I took the Bible and I began to share with Shane from the Bible how God can save anyone. I began to point him to, to Saul in the New Testament. He said, Saul killed people. He looked at me, he goes, I've never killed anybody. I said, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> and if you have, don't tell me. <laughs> when I got done, Shane looked at me. 
He said, I want to do that. And that day, Shane and I knelt in the back of our church. And Shane trusted Christ as Savior. And I say that to be reminded of this in the middle of that whole situation. I lost my burden. I just wanted them to leave. Let me ask you, Christian, have you ever lost your burden? We need Christians today that have a burden for the lost. The next thing I see this evening, there's a compassion of prayer. Verse number 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. He's, he's shown them the need. And then He says, pray that God will send forth. That word send forth is a powerful statement. It's not just, not just pray that God might nudge somebody to go. The thought of that statement is to cast out, to drive out, to throw out. It's the idea of force. There's an urgent necessity here in this request. Pray that God would move people to go and, and to share the gospel. Pray that God would, would not let people sit idly by and watch people die without the, without the gospel. There's a people in need. Pray that God would, can I use this term? Pray that God would light a fire under some laborers. And my reminder as I read this passage is, is that that prayer is needed today. Pray that people will share the gospel. Oh, the big picture, the compassion should result in praying for missions. You see it throughout the Bible. In, in, in Romans 10, 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul said, my prayer is that God would save them. Let me ask you, Christian, uh, do, you have a, uh, do you have people you're praying for that they'll be saved? You know, it's amazing to me, we as Christians, and even in our churches, we have prayer meetings and we have prayer times, Wednesday night prayer times, and, and so often our prayer list, and nothing wrong with praying for this, but so often our prayer list consists of pray for Aunt Susie's big toe. Now, I say that sarcastically, but you get what I mean, don't you? How often do we say, hey, I've got a neighbor that's lost. Pray for him. Pray that someone would be saved. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. He says, pray that we have the opportunity to share the gospel. In Ephesians 6, 18, he says, Praying with all prayer and supplication in spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. He says, pray that I can share the gospel. Oh, the big picture, pray that people are able to hear the gospel and be saved. We as Christians ought to be praying for people to be saved. And there's a problem with a Christianity that doesn't pray for lost people. Passion should result in praying for missions. But here, more specifically, 
Compassion should result in praying for God to send laborers. Again, pray ye, therefore the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, we need more workers. Pray for God to send more. You remember the story in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus? Remember the rich man's request? Send Lazarus to my family. If that man in hell could beg for someone to be sent to his family, shouldn't we that are saved and know the glorious deliverance that Christ has given us be praying that somebody will go to others? We should be praying for the gospel to be spread. We should be praying that God would send more. Pray that Christians would share the gospel, that we would not be ashamed. But also pray that people would go into the ministry, surrender for missions. You know, I think sometimes we come to a missions conference and we just take for granted that maybe God will touch somebody's heart. But as you've come this week, have you prayed for individuals that God might touch? Let me ask you, have you prayed that God would send somebody specifically from this congregation to the mission field? Oh, and I know you have young people. And it's easy to pray for young people. But old people can go too. Could I also challenge you? Pray for young kids. Oh, it's easy for me to pray, Lord, send Pastor Cochran's kids to the mission field. Lord, touch my kids' hearts. Been in the ministry long enough, and I've seen enough families that say, Lord, I want you to send somebody else's kids, but keep mine close to home. We need to be like Abraham. Lord, you can have my child. Are we praying for laborers today? The final thing, compassion is I see compassion's action, and I'll wrap this up. Verse number, chapter 10, verse number 1. When he called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against, against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Down to verse 5. And these twelve Jesus sent forth. Pray for the laborers. And then he turned to the twelve. 
Go. This is your job. Compassion is aware of a need. Compassion has a burden for people to be saved. Compassion should pray for people to share the gospel, for more labors. And compassion should result in a personal response. Action. We know the verses, Luke 24, verse 46. Said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Jesus had died on the cross. He had risen from the grave. He's speaking to His disciples. And he looks at his disciples and says, I died on the cross. I paid the price for man's sin. And you are the witnesses of this. Go tell. We know the verse, Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We know that verse, but the question is this. Do we live in obedience to that verse? Heard someone say the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. How about it? Statistics would tell us that the, the, the majority of Christians never share Christ with anyone. Oh, we're thankful, we're saved, we're thankful for our churches, but do we go outside the doors of the church and share Christ with those around us? It is our job to tell them. It is our, oppor- it is our time to take the opportunity to, to be active in missions. Too many of our churches in America are built upon the work of our, of our forefathers. You, you get what I mean? They, they went out and they reached the lost and they, they built churches and then now our churches consist of second and third generation Christians. But how many are coming from outside? How many of the shames in the world are we bringing in? Compassion should result in telling those around us about Christ. Taking action. But let me also say, let me add to this, as Jesus called the twelve to be involved with Him in the ministry, God is still in the business of calling people to the ministry. We need missionaries today. We need pastors and evangelists today. We need people that will hear the call of God and say, I'll go. Lord, if you want me in Africa, I'll go. Lord, if you want me in Thailand, I'll go. Lord, if you want me in Japan, I'll go. Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. 1 Timothy 1.12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. God still calls people to the ministry today. question is, are we open to the call? It's comfortable to just be in church, isn't it? But if God wanted you in Scotland, would you go? Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. 
But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Go into all the world. And maybe here in this conference this week, there's someone that God has been speaking to your heart and saying, go. Remember when I was called to preach? Sat in the back row. God began to speak to my heart, and I sat there in the service thinking, Lord, you must be calling the person next to me. Lord, I could never do that. Lord, I don't know that I want to do that. But can I tell you all these years later, I don't regret one bit surrendering. Compassion for missions, compassion for the lost must include action. Let me close with this. Several years ago, I was pastoring in West Tennessee. We were out in the country. We were in the country. The, the, the closest store to us was 10 or 15 minutes away. You walked out the front doors of the church, and uh, it was cotton fields or corn fields, depending on the year. Um, neighbors were spread out. There were two right across the street from us. One of, us. one of them was a deacon in our church. The other one had been a member in the church, but he passed away. When he passed away, they sold his house, and we got a new neighbor. One day I was leaving the house to go make some visits and I thought I saw him out in his yard. I thought, I'm going to go introduce myself and talk to him. And I walked up to him to introduce myself. I told him I was a pastor at the church there and immediately he saw this wall go up. Immediately I knew he was not a church-going person. He began to tell me about himself, tell me he was not a Christian. He, he was very, very upfront. Preacher, I'm agnostic, maybe an atheist. He's not sure which he was, but anyway, he said, this is who I am. He said, I've read through the Bible. The Old Testament is a good story. The New Testament is interesting. And his words to me, and whoever wrote Revelation was smoking something. What he was trying to do is put, let's put groundwork here. This is who I am. And basically what he told me is, I don't want you as a preacher coming over here bothering me. I don't want a pesky neighbor. I don't want your religion. I said, okay. Time went by, and we would bump into each other, and I would say stuff to him. I'd invite him to church. We gave him gospel tracts and tried to do what we could with him. He kept that wall there. As time went on... uh, Ron was his name. Ron began to have some different health problems. Ron was a strange individual. Don't get me wrong. Ron was rather strange. And uh, Ron, as he began to have various health problems, he, he started doing something that was rather odd to me. When a different health issue would come up, he would come over to the church, start to tell me about it, 
and then give money to the church. He was bribing God's what he was doing. I mean, that was the, that was the mentality you kind of got. Hey, if I give something to the church, God will take care of this health need I got. That went on for some time, and one day, and be honest with you, every time Ron would come over to the church, I think, "Oh boy, here comes Ron." One day, I got a phone call from Ron. Ron was very sick; his health had declined greatly. He was scared. And this man that had told me, "I'm agnostic; leave me alone." Preacher, I need to get saved. I said, okay, Ron, are you home? Not, not right this... Or I asked where he was. He wasn't at home. He was somewhere else. And I, I said, well, Ron, how about when you, when you get back home, I'll, I'll come see you. He said, no. I got to do it now. Right now, Ron? Right now, I can't wait. And that day over the phone... We went over the plan of salvation and Ron prayed. Trusted Jesus to save him. My point, I look back at Ron and Ron was not desirable. Some days I did not want Ron to come talk to me. But God taught me a lesson. Ron needed somebody that would have compassion. Compassion on him. He needed someone that would know his need, have a burden for him to hear the gospel that would pray for him and take the time to share the gospel with him. Can I tell you tonight, the people of this world need somebody that will have compassion on them. The people of this world need somebody that will be aware of their need have a burden that they'll hear about Christ. That'll pray for them. Pray for laborers. And the people of the world need somebody that'll come and tell them. The question tonight, will you be that person that has compassion? How about it? Maybe tonight there's one here that God spoke into your heart about being a missionary. Will you go? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking tonight. There are a lot of Rons. There are a lot of Shanes in the world today. There's not a lot of laborers. Christian, do you live aware of the needs today? Or do you find yourself going day after day oblivious to those around you? You have a burden. Oh, tonight we'll have a verse of invitation. Maybe tonight God has spoken to your heart. And maybe the need tonight is to come to an altar and say, Lord, help me to see the need. And to have a burden for my Ron, for my shame. 
Are you praying for laborers? Oh, maybe tonight we need to make a commitment. I'm going to pray for laborers. And are you taking action? Oh, tonight do we need to come to an altar and say, Lord, help me to go. Or if God's called you to a field, to come and say, Lord, here am I. Lord, I thank you for your word. Help me to have compassion that's seen. To have compassion that matters. I pray that tonight as we have an invitation, Lord, I pray that we would do this evening as you'd have for us to do. Lord, maybe we need to come and pray for that burden, pray for that awareness, help us to do that. Maybe we need to come with a commitment to pray for labors or, or to come with a, with a dedication to go. Whatever our need is tonight, help us to respond, to do as you would have for us to, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Margaret. We stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. I've asked Jessica if she will play the song, I Will Follow Thee, My Savior. And as she plays, if God's spoken to your heart, would you come forward and take a time of prayer? Several already moving. God's led your heart. As she plays, you respond to the Lord. The Holy Spirit spoken this evening. Have a tender spirit. This is an opportunity to be able to pray before we conclude our conference. I will live for thee, my Savior. Through war and strife, mark the way. Know that I'm weak, but you are mighty. So I'm asking that you'll live through me day by day. Is that your prayer this evening? Maybe the Lord's calling some of these young people. Or maybe you. The message was spoken tonight. Somebody you need to pray for by name. Add them to your list. God will call them. She continues to play. And these are praying. If you need to respond. Still an opportunity tonight. As the Holy Spirit's led. the words I like for us to sing that verse is 387 in your hymn book I will follow thee my savior where'er the pathway may go let's join in this verse in this chorus this evening as we close
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and the message in the conference this week. What a blessing our soul to be able to have the Word of God uh, presented to us to see these missionaries. And uh, Lord, uh, we are so thankful for this opportunity. Uh, Lord, what a blessing uh, to uh, be able to rub shoulders with these faithful saints of God, these who are just starting uh, out. And uh, thank you for this uh, conference this week, the attendance. And Lord, I pray out of, out of this conference, would you call some uh, within our congregation to go forward for Jesus Christ in um, full-time Christian service uh, or, um, or around the world in missions. In Jesus' name that we pray.